0: This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Peaky Blinders Season 6, Episode 2, Black Shirt. My name is Adam Hemming and my co-hosts are with me. He has a reputation for moral turpitude. It's Damian Cooper.
1: Hello.
0: And it's a good name for a racehorse, Grace Chapman. Hello. And this week we have a special guest with us. It's the host of Pub Trotters Podcast and Angry Little Welshman and Friends, Nick Morgan. Right, Dora. Hello. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. You're very welcome, Nick. It's gonna be great to have you share your thoughts on Peaky Blinders with us. We'll chat a bit more about your podcast later on, Nick. What did we think of episode two? Any first thoughts?
2: I found it all very, very strange. <laughs> I just felt like it was an episode of everyone explaining everything to everyone and then it all just went a bit mad. I've just finished watching it just before this podcast and I, I think I'm still digesting it a little bit, but I just don't really know what to make of it, <laughs> to be honest. My last notes I wrote after watching it was, it
3: got very supernatural. There seemed to be a lot of gypsy curses and a lot of flashbacks and then who's he called at the end. I enjoyed it though, that being said.
1: Yeah, a couple of stylistic choices I didn't enjoy in the first half of the episode, but it was nice to see Alfie Solomon, although uh, after what you said, Grace, about Ada's accent, I think uh, Alfie forgot his accent for the first half of the scene as well. And what a disappointment that Uncle Jack wasn't Stephen Graham.
0: I know, we still haven't seen Stephen Graham yet in the show. Maybe it was all a ruse. Maybe he's not going to appear in it at all. Lots of politics in this as well, which I thought was interesting. Let's dive in. Let's start with Tommy's return to home, back to the homestead, back to the family, clearly concerned about Ruby.
1: Can I just say, I'm so glad that we didn't have an episode on The Crossing. I mentioned it last week. I was worried that we'd we'd have a kind of uh, cramped claustrophobic episode with Tommy, Gina, and uh, Uncle Jack. But we just were boom, straight in the car deck going down the drive. Lovely stuff.
3: We worried there was going to be some form of Titanic esque shots whilst they're traveling home from America. Let's have a whole episode of corruptness on a boat or snakes on a boat. No corrupt snakes
0: on
1: a boat. I'll stop. <laughs> Shelby's on a boat.
0: So we open with, we had Aunt Paul's words again echoing, the words about the, the war between the Shelbys and one of them's going to die and her not knowing which one. And we got some of Michael's from episode one as well, a bit of his, his dialogue ringing in Tommy's ears still. He's like, he's hearing these voices quite a lot in, so far in season six. But it turns out that Ruby's all better. Uh, She's got the Black Madonna around her neck, but Tommy's made an appointment. And I, I think he said Dr. Robert. Did anyone else catch the doctor's name? I think it was Dr. Robert. And I wondered whether there was any, you know, link to Hotel Robert from last episode. (laughs) Seems to be a a running Robert theme going through Peaky Blinders in season six. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be
3: even more interesting, uh, my childhood doctor was Dr. Robert's. Don't know if it was the same one. Perhaps they were related.
0: Maybe. Uh, We get to the Shelby Sanatorium. We find out that Tommy can't sleep or hasn't been sleeping. And although Ruby gets the all clear, Tommy still won't sleep.
2: When did Tommy get an OE and what was it for? i <laughs> to be reminded.
0: I think this must have happened in the in a gap, in the four or five year gap that we had last episode.
2: Because that is a big deal.
1: Did he not get it for services to business, but really for doing stuff for Winston on the side?
3: I seem to remember there being some sort of, obe talk in earlier seasons about yeah to do with that oh we'll give you an obe for business nudge nudge wink wink so uh, which is is how i picture that era of of the world
1: <laughs> definitely not like that now there's definitely not people being made lords totally legitimate now
0: this throbbing noise came in in this early part of the episode as well. It was something that we kind of came back to a lot throughout Tommy's mental state, and I mean, I thought the sound effects department was was going great guns. We had our breathy noises as well at various points.
2: Well, it was when Lizzie like grabbed his wrist and said something like, "Can you feel that?" Which I think meant like his pulse. Like, are you even there? Are you even alive? The sound effects department need a raise. They haven't, and but op- maybe they're just having an excellent time. <laughs> After last episode, squelchy mud, they're on fire.
0: Well, Tommy's got a list and he's going through it item by item. And the next thing he needs to do is have a bath. And he chooses a stormy night to have his bath. And then Lizzie hears a crash and comes in to find the bath overrunning. And Tommy fitting on the floor whilst flashing back to this scrap that he had in the war. So reminiscent of the first season here of these flashbacks to being in the war.
3: First off, I just want to recognise the use of the word scrap, uh, like we're 13 again. Haven't heard that word in a long time. That scene really threw me. There's all sorts of panic happening and running around. They're fighting. I, I, it took me a while to figure out what, was going, <laughs> what the hell was going on. I thought, is he in some sort of cellar, fighting in the water because it's raining as well? Is that? And then it took me a while. And I eventually realised it was a
0: flashback. Yeah, and he cut himself on the back because the glass bottle that had smashed on the floor whilst he was fitting around on there. And we also learned that he had a smaller fit on the boat that this had happened previously as well.
1: I'm sure that we've also heard Tommy talk about the first time he killed, which I think is that guy that he wrestled with, because he says later on about looking at the green eyes of a Prussian man uh, who was just like him or whatever, and that's obviously the fight that we see then, and then we revisit in his office that flashback. I can't remember whether we've seen that previously when we've had the flashbacks. There's one where he's definitely in a, a really tight space uh, fighting someone whilst he's digging a tunnel in, I think, Series 1 or 2.
0: Yeah, I think all throughout Series 1 we get flashbacks of him digging through the tunnel and then when they break through the tunnel they meet some of the enemy there and there's a, a scrap. Pretty sure that's all contained within Season 1 and we haven't really had any war flashbacks since then so it's interesting that now he's in this quite a difficult mental state that he's experiencing these again
2: well he clarifies doesn't he that it's ever since he stopped drinking that the flashbacks well they've threatened to return and now have returned so it's almost like now he's got a clear head they can come back into his mind I mean he says I am myself now which is like oh god that's it's, I mean, it's pretty dark, really. Like, the flashbacks are pretty hard to watch. He's struggling, isn't he?
0: Absolutely, and I think we'll cover the latter end of this story and this topic, but let's go through Tommy's list and we'll come to that towards the end of the recording. But the next thing he's got to do is hold a rally, a Labour rally, and speak to his constituents. I thought he was very statesman-like in this, very rousing speech for the working men, but it felt like it was pretty much all... For the benefit of our IRA lady, Laura McKee, who Arthur brings along to the meeting.
1: Yeah, I wonder also if if there's an element of we might see next episode a mass mobilisation of people from Birmingham down to London. Because he did mention about when everyone goes to London, we let them know. So who knows, that's what we might see. A protest in the streets of London. At least they won't possibly get locked up for a decade for it.
2: I liked this this scene. I guess I always find Tommy as the MP. I don't know, a little bit odd. I think it's just such a departure from our like monosyllabic brooding Tommy that we know so well. For him to get up on stage and have this like flowing, impassioned vocab and these emotive props that he's got, and I'm just like, hang on a sec, like who is that guy? <laughs> They feel a little bit far apart for me sometimes And when he gets on stage, I just find it a tiny bit unbelievable That they're the same character
3: Just to second that, I think it's emphasised it more Because there's been such a gap between the last season and this season That scene, as good as it was It did make nothing I broke down Was all politics corrupt back then? I mean, in some way or shape or form, it probably was but it's just kind of like, it does, like you said, Grace, it does very much seem so surreal that that's the path that's happened.
0: I did think it was strange that he had this IRA woman who'd confessed to being behind the, the plot to murder his family and colleagues. And, you know, it's a really awkward conversation between them where Arthur says it's gypsy tradition not to mention the names of dead in company. And Tommy says business comes before matters of vengeance. She thought she was going to meet in a crowded place, but there's no need for crowds because we need you alive.
2: I mean, yeah, basically, if you were to tell me in season one of this that Tommy Shelby was going to end up as an MP OBE, I wouldn't be able to see that very clearly. And I think it just always feels a bit strange to me. I don't really understand how we got here. And I think the gap is something to do with it. I think the gap between the last season and this season hasn't helped me to kind of thread the seasons of the story together. And last episode, I was so excited about it being back. I was like, yeah. And then this one, I think, I think I got a bit distracted, a bit confused.
0: <laughs> well, I did really enjoy this next scene where we're back at the garrison for the first time this season. This is where we get the whole moral turpitude and a nice racehorse uh, analogy going on.
1: I was disappointed. There he was in a bar with an Irish woman and he didn't get her to sing.
0: <laughs> the big difference for me at the garrison was that there were these noises of trains. And then when we came outside of the garrison, you could see the train tracks. And I thought, they must be new. Were they? They weren't always there, were they, those train tracks?
2: They were new. The garrison used to be the end of this street, do you remember, that had fiery pits on either side, big burly Birmingham guys doing something with fire, (laughs) and, like, horses... (laughs) <laughs> so I'm describing Birmingham. Yeah, it was at the end of that street. It seemed really part of, of the community and part of that part of Birmingham. I thought for a minute there it was under a dual carriageway. Now it seems like it's this like last bastion of something that it's kind of. I mean, I was like, okay, yeah, times they are changing, but Tommy's still clinging on to something. There was a lot of imagery in there that I was like, okay, I, I'm I'm getting it. I'm getting it.
3: They've turned it into a craft pub, is what they've done. <laughs> oh my god they they own a distillery now and so you know they they're like oh we do our own bespoke distillery with craft gin and chokes aside it did look like it had moved or so i i don't remember there being so much clear roadway over side of it either again as you say i think you've got to take these things with like anything with a pinch of salt that times have changed and perhaps they just knocked down some buildings and now there's a new road there
0: but it definitely looked cleaner i thought but it felt to me that Train line was symbolic of the fact that we're on a journey, we are headed down some tracks, down this line, and they talk about lines when they talk about politics, Tommy and what's her name, Laura? The line doesn't go out from the middle to the left and the right, it goes in a circle, conversation about nationalism and socialism.
2: I mean, this is what I come to my BBC One drama for, which is an education in political ideology. Anyone else? perfect I get I think I'm in a bit of a bad mood guys (laughs) I I think I'm in a bit of a grump and I'm gonna try and get out of it but I didn't like the scene (laughs) this is so expositional it was so heavy I just oh god and we'd already had loads of exposition and I didn't know there was so much exposition to come as well and I I mean they did do well with it To a certain extent, you know, we had the drawing on the table. That helped me understand. There was the letter, there were props. It was all right. It wasn't pure exposition, but I don't know. I just, I feel like it it reminded me of when Peaky's been super dense in the plot before. And then they've had to do these scenes. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be back in these scenes again. But um, I mean, when she said at the end, this meeting is not what I expected. I literally was like, you're telling me.
3: I'm curious what people thought about the Ida, was it Ida and Tommy met when they were chatting outside the garrison on the way out. I've written down, I quite like that monologue that Ida was giving. I thought that element of that scene then, if you will, felt quite warming, but it, it, it really put, um, I don't know, just hit a lot of the nails on the heads about she's just so, just one of you are going to kill yourselves by being idiots and you know, I'm just waiting for it to happen.
0: Particularly that conversation outside of the pub. She talks about the fact that she's not Polly, but she's trying to be. And then she talks about her and Tommy carrying beer for their dad in a bucket and going from that to opium and presidents. Ada had a line last week about a bucket without a leak. I mean, what is it with Ada and buckets in season six all of a sudden?
2: I really like this scene. It pulled it round for me at the end. I loved the image of the bucket and I I actually really love getting an insight into their childhood. It's very, very rare that we get that. And it said so much. So I did really like that. I, I love it when the family get together and have a good chat. It's always my favourite bits.
1: Also, like we were saying before, those establishing shots and enclosing shots of the garrison, seeing how much the neighbourhoods changed. And then I was quickly also getting a view into to how things were for them as a kid before they became the Peaky Blinders. But I also, from this scene, I was thinking about what you said last week, Grace, about Ida's accent. I don't know what that was. That was a terrible accent. But I think why she sounds like that is not because she forgot how to do a Brummie accent. But if you remember, she was the one that was sent down to London to carry on with stuff in London, all the stuff that was above board, the business stuff. And therefore she probably then had to Change her the way she spoke in order to be taken more seriously. And so, even though she's back in Brum, she still is like that in order to maintain her position and get some respect.
2: It's Damien being understanding about an unexplained accent change. What? Is it's that... all right. I'll rip on one later. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> Just to drag you all back into the garrison briefly, we did find out that the real reason for Jack Nelson's visit to. London. And I don't think we'd known this beforehand, but it turns out that Jack Nelson is a fascist. This is Gina's Uncle Jack, and he's on a mission for the president to find support for fascism. And that's why Tommy needs Laura McKee. He wants her to have a conversation with Jack Nelson.
1: I think he's also then, and I know we, like you've already said, we had this A-level politics lesson about the spectrum of of politics, but he was also trying to uh, marry nationalism with fascism there. Which there is a slight difference, and obviously the IRA are in favour of nationalism rather than fascism, but I thought it was quite nice how he was trying to manipulate those fine differences between the different political ideologies.
0: And almost explaining how by joining nationalism and socialism you get national socialism.
2: And all of this is so that he can sell opium in America and change the world. Yeah. cool. One high at a time.
0: (laughs) And as he says to Ada, he has no limitations.
2: I actually might be wrong and you can edit this if this isn't good. But now did Michael say something about limitations to him at the end of last episode or did he say something to Michael about limitations? It felt like that was a callback and I couldn't remember what it was.
0: Yeah. End of episode one, there's a conversation about, um, I think Michael tells him to know his limitations and Tommy says he doesn't have any.
2: Right. Is moral perpetuity, p- like, is it going to be a person? Where did you get those letters from? He said they were from my moral perpetuity. Do we have an idea of who that might be?
3: I don't know if he's saying I wrote them and and forged them or if there's actually a character or characters that are helping him. I might be going off track here, but there's not a big cast in this episode, in this season, as much as there has been in previous seasons yet. And I'm wondering if there's more characters that get involved.
0: He's got these letters that are from the president to Jack Nelson, and then from Jack Nelson to other people as well, hasn't he? And he's got them through basically some dodgy memes.
1: I was disappointed given how the soundtrack is for this show that after Tommy said he had no limits, that we didn't have some kind of a rocky version of the uh, two unlimited classic.
3: They are still performing if you are interested.
1: I know, I just, I went on holiday uh, a few years ago with my girlfriend to Amsterdam and we just missed the live performance by them. I think and the Wenger boys were on the same night and we missed it by two days.
0: Well, speaking of banging tunes, we get Ness and Dorma as the theme that brings us into Alfie Solomon's, and of course, uh, Ness and Dorma translates to <laughs> "No one <laughs> sleeps." What? Ness
1: and Dorma. I mean, is it something like "No one sleeps"
0: or "No sleep"? I thought it was "Never sleep," but you could be—I I could be totally wrong. Let no one sleep. And of course, we know someone who isn't sleep. That's our Tommy, um, and maybe this is going to be. Uh, and, and actually, when we come in to talk to Alfie, we find out that he's withdrawn as well and and quite troubled. Tommy gets told to put his cigarette out. Alfie no longer likes cigarette smoke. He's got a condition and we have a conversation about opera. We find out that Alfie's uncle Charlie died in America, was killed. And I really loved this Tommy Alfie chat. I can't really remember what it was all for. All I remember is Alfie really
3: wanted to make an opera, was in the process of making an opera.
0: He was there to try and
3: convince him to get more involved again to get opium to the Jewish community, gangsters, however you want to put them in in Boston. I think he was trying to use that con- Alfie as a contact for that purpose.
1: Absolutely, and then he, he re-agitated him with reminding him that Uncle Jack had killed his uncle and that nothing had been done in terms of vengeance. And so that really... What kind of a man is he if he's not looking to to settle that score? Because
2: the old Alfie
1: certainly would have.
2: I mean, if you want to talk about not taking vengeance on a family member and what kind of man wouldn't do that, you can look right back to Tony. So he could have been talking about himself right there. I enjoyed the scene. I liked being in the company of Alfie again. Devastatingly, didn't have too many props. But I feel like a lot of the props were internal now you know like the opera loving and the and the smoke hating you know he'd really turned inward. but my favorite line in it was when i think does tommy say alfie you're my friend and then alfie just goes did do you regret it about shooting him in the face and tommy's like no
0: <laughs> when i went to watch the episode on iplayer You know, it comes up with a still image from the episode and it's Alfie sitting there with about a dozen rings on his fingers and this bracelet around his wrist. So I instantly thought of you, Grace. I did really love the line, the Irish have been difficult for about 700 years.
2: And I love the second half of that. You can remember something that happened 200 years ago, but you can't remember something that happened last night.
0: And then the story about the Irishman arguing with the Cromwell statue was also quite good. Then we move on to our favourite characters, Michael and Gina, for a really brief, um, kind of pointless scene in which we learn very little other than the fact that Jack Nelson wants Tommy Shelby dead and something about five million dollars. You know how in films and
3: TV shows when people go into prison and they're very cleanly shaved? So they'll start growing like a five o'clock shadow and a beard. Is it just his mustache that's getting thicker? It seems, you know, he probably has privileges being a gangster and such, but it just seems to be that he's not trimming his mustache as as, as probably. And it did worry me. I was worried, he, you know, is he getting everything he needs there? And I just wanted to raise that. I thought this was the suitable
1: place. <laughs> I think he's well catered for in the prison commissary. I think those
2: pajamas look well comfy, but he's got to wear them all day. <laughs> I mean, I just, (laughs) I just wrote down about this scene, ridiculous, I'm so confused She had the keys, there
1: was no one keeping an eye on the cell She was going there to have sex with him But she decided to lock the door immediately, sit on the table Look like she's about to put on a show for him And then stop, and then organise a daily synchronous wank (laughs) <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> that crosses the time zones. and Without a mobile phone, that's very hard to Why? Right. Look, long-distance relationships are tough now when we've got all this technology. It must have been really difficult, you're absolutely right, to synchro-wank.
0: <laughs> I think we need to move on. Uh, <laughs> so we come to the Nazi rally now. We've had our Labour rally earlier in the episode. There's now very much um, some Nazi flags hanging... There's a really ominous rain and this sea of black umbrellas bobbing up and down. I thought it was a really great visual image. And as Tommy enters, he's called a scab and a traitor.
1: Yeah, Just from that, I thought uh, maybe it's because of the current release in the theatres that that was quite Batman-esque. And of course, Killian and Tom have both been villains in Batman films. I thought it was very Gotham-esque, shall we say. I can
3: see that, yeah. I haven't been watched any of them many times. I can see exactly what you mean. I did enjoy seeing, seeing Arthur in that scene, but his involvement in anything so far, I know we're only two episodes in, there's been nothing other than I'm a fucking stoned, fucked guy and I'm just kind of here because they can't figure out what to do with me in the show now, but I'm I, you know, i his brother, so I need to be here going, Rar! And punching or stabbing someone now and again. But hey, I enjoyed it. it was fun.
1: Well, expositionally, we found out that he's been hanging out with Oswald, hasn't he? Whilst Tommy hasn't been about. So when he's managed to briefly been sober, he's been getting messed up with Oswald, which makes me think he's probably been leaking information to Oswald. Because he's Oswald's on top of all that sort of stuff. And Arthur is a liability when it comes to being on the source.
2: That is a great shout. That would be great, actually, if he turned out to be the bucket with the leak. Yeah, Arthur, he just needs to be led, Arthur. He needs someone to follow and he just hasn't had someone in so long. And then Oswald Mosley's come along and snapped him up. But I do think there was a lovely moment between him and Tommy at the end when he was like, I need my brother. But his allegiances are pretty thin, aren't they? It's like, all right, brother, I'm back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's either a leaky bucket or... a a leak without a bucket if it's a bucket without a leak it's just a bucket
2: oh is that what I said (laughs) did I say it's a bucket without a leak (laughs) (laughs)
0: excellent
1: very philosophical grace very philosophical excellent podcasting (laughs) helping the visuals for everyone
0: there yeah I'm really curious to see where they take Arthur's relationship with Oswald Mosley and what that's going to mean for, for Tommy and, and the rest of it. I'm really curious about how all that's going to play out. The key thing with Oswald Mosley, we, again, we saw for the first time this season, was he's got a, a new mistress. His wife's passed away and he's being comforted by Diana Mitford.
2: Oh, I didn't catch her name in the show. So she would have been part of the Mitford sisters, who I believe were high society sort of social climbers were very promiscuous but also quite literary or am I wrong there in <laughs> the final bit have I fallen at the last hurdle
0: no I think you're absolutely spot on there uh, Grace with the Mitford sisters I mean they were obviously there were more than one of them and they all had sort of different interests and one of them Diana Mitford was particularly interested in Oswald Mosley.
1: yeah so some of them were like hardcore fascists and some of them were hardcore communists there were six of them I think and uh, they were Well, I mean, some would say either end of the spectrum, but as Tommy has told us, almost next to each other in the circle, indeed. A Jerry (laughs) Maguire rescue complete me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What did you make of Diana Mitford in the episode?
2: I thought she was a patronising snob, but I guess that was the point.
0: There was a really curious look between Diana and Tommy at one point, wasn't there? It was a really weird moment of them filtering out everybody else and just this glare between the two of them.
1: Yeah, so that was one of the things that I didn't like. You know, I said at the beginning of the episode there were a couple of stylistic things. I was like, oh, why? Well, obviously it's foreshadowing maybe they have sex because his wife at the end of that says, well, I've already fucked Oswald, so I wonder if that then becomes a revenge shag or at least part of the seduction that she then ends up going for. And, and that could be the, the final thing that brings Oswald down.
2: Yeah, I thought the spotlights on their faces, it all felt a just suddenly very musical theatre, which just threw me massively. But I just also just want to give a big shout out to Lizzie's orange dress. Whoa, Nellie, that was a beauty. I love all the costumes, but... That was particularly lovely. So big shout
0: out there. A big part of season five was Lizzie's relationship with Oswald. We know Lizzie used to be a prostitute and Oswald, on one of his visits to Birmingham, had slept with her and it's played upon a lot in season five. That's brought back. Uh, We're reminded of all of that. It was a great moment when Lizzie told her that she'd fucked her future husband in front of a champagne glass tower. Arthur's arrived. We mentioned the fact that Arthur's arrived high. He's also wearing a black shirt. We've seen press talking to Tommy and Tommy's at pains to make sure people know that he isn't a fascist, that he's here and he's hoping to sway opinions and that he's hoping to remain unresolved. So he makes Johnny Dogs swap shirts with him. And then he tells Arthur, or he shows Arthur, gives him this postcard from Linda, his estranged wife, and basically tells Arthur that if he behaves he's going to write back to Linda. There's a whole line about forgiveness. Do you believe in forgiveness? And then we get another scrap where Arthur and Tommy beat up some Nazis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm all for seeing Nazis get punched, but I don't understand how that suddenly kicked off. It's turned around and then him and Joey Dog start beating people up in an unlit corridor behind, I'm guessing, the grand stairs. And it doesn't seem to cause an issue. And at no point does someone say, hey, do you know what? Some wankers beat up some of our dudes inside of here. What happened?
2: Oh, it was the Shelby. So this is scrap out of nowhere that's never referenced again. It was the episode desperately giving us some action amidst all the exposition, guys. That's what that was.
3: Yeah, just to add, I literally, I think I blinked for a second. And then suddenly there was shadows punching each other. What? what did I, what did I miss? What did I miss? Oh, nothing. It just seemed to happen. He was going to take out his eyes or something. Not here, not now. And then they go off and, yeah, it's just, just a day in the life of the Shelbys. It felt like a comedy caper. Ooh,
1: fisticuffs.
3: <laughs> and then move on.
1: All we were missing was the old pow. Kevunch. <laughs>
0: Biff. Well, we were in Gotham, as you said. The next thing on Tommy's list is a very un Stephen Graham-like Jack Nelson, who he meets in a cathedral, and they have a conversation about religion and about killing men.
1: And what a beautiful (laughs) cathedral it was. That's all I could think of for the first five seconds. I know they're talking, but bloody hell, this is a fantastic set. Maybe I'm just getting old.
2: But what cathedral were they in? Were they in like Westminster Cathedral? Are you allowed to just go in there? Well, nothing was going on, right?
1: It was completely empty, not a pew or
0: anything. <laughs> I think if you're an OBE, you are you probably have, you know, the keys. Uh, <laughs> Tommy has the line that he last killed a man four years ago, and ultimately Jack's going to think about Tommy's offer of the opium.
1: Something that I thought was interesting, or maybe not, but there was a lot of conversation about, and I think it was Jack that was pushing it, that they were both Catholics. And obviously... Tommy is threatening to, to side with the Jews and sell this opium through the, the Jews. This, there was this kind of weird Irish slash, I guess, Italian Catholic rapport that he was trying to build up bonds, should I say, or shared cultural history, I guess, that Jack was trying to use in his favor. And what a surprise, eh? He's a fascist and he's against
0: the Jews. Yeah, I mean, he's very much a lapsed Catholic, isn't he, our Tommy?
1: Aren't we all? As in Catholics, rather than everyone who's on the podcast.
2: <laughs> I was like, that's Jack Nelson? That's the Jack Nelson that we've been hearing about this whole time? The rising star of South Boston? Gina's uncle?
0: He was definitely younger but than I thought he was going to be.
1: Is it that surprising that he's such a disappointment considering he's related to Gina.
0: (laughs) Let's cover the crazy ending then of this episode. So it's Lizzie who discovers the drawings, isn't it? Lizzie finds Ruby's drawings. Tommy is in in the house making speeches. Ruby's made all these drawings with the green-eyed man again. Ruby can hear voices from the chimney. There's this whole sequence of different things going on with Ruby and her fever and the doctor coming and them trying to call Tommy to tell him what's going on and then Ruby's coughing up blood. Diana and Oswald mostly are laughing at Tommy and then Ruby finally says the grey man is coming for me and for daddy as well and then we get Tommy finally in his office and then this attack from someone in his office. Uh, A soldier in his office attacks him. Turns out to be another fit him flashing back to the war and unable really to tell the difference between the past and the present. Just
1: to what you're saying about that flashback to him fighting the Prussian I guess he was a sapper as well the Germans wore a grey uniform in the first world war it was the first time the European army hadn't worn a brightly coloured uniform so I wonder if that's in some way linked the man in grey or the grey man is the Prussian that he killed in the tunnel.
0: And if he's the first man that Tommy killed, maybe the grey man embodies all of the people that Tommy has caused death to.
1: You always remember your first, right?
0: So anyway, Tommy puts a call through to Esme. Do you remember who Esme was? Yeah, of course.
2: I love Esme. I was sad when she went. I'm really excited for her to come back. She's the heart of the gypsy storyline in this show. She's brilliant. Which brother was she married to again?
0: She was married to John Shelby. First season, she was a Lee, and the Shelbys were at war with the Lees, different gypsy clan, and they married John and Esme together. Esme was a bit of a wild child, so they wanted her to settle down. For about the next two or three seasons, it was pretty much Esme and John fucking at every opportunity until John sadly met his demise.
2: Now you've reminded me, Adam, it is still getting a bit PG-13, isn't it, Peaky? Compared to like season one and two, which is just like quite intense, it's all getting a bit more. Well, they're they get they're getting older, aren't they? I guess.
3: <laughs> but you think all the cast are kind of like so? What you do here is then you get up on the table and you have sex, and they're like, ah, oh, I have to jump onto the table. I'm not gonna <laughs> hitch up as much anymore. <laughs>
0: Of course, it's when John dies that Esme puts a curse on Tommy and his family. So she has placed a gypsy curse onto the Shelbys, which she does at John's funeral. So I believe that Tommy is contacting Esme to find out how to lift the gypsy curse that's been placed on him and his family. So any final thoughts on season six, episode two?
2: Who is Stephen Graham going to be then?
1: Who's he going to be? Alfie Solomon's cousin. I mean, so he historically has been Al Capone so many bloody times now. So I wondered, were we going to see him reprise Al Capone? But could he be one of the Boston
0: Solomons? He could be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good shout. Should we cover the blurb for episode three and then see if that gives us any, any other hints as to who Stephen Graham might be? So it's called Gold. Faced with devastating news, Tommy goes on a quest to discover who it was that placed the curse on his family. In Birmingham, Ada takes charge and Arthur takes on some new recruits. So maybe Stephen Graham's going to be one of the new recruits.
2: Well, that sounds like we're going to spend a bit more time with the family, which I'm looking forward to, because I I think we haven't spent enough time with them yet. So I'm happy about that. And it sounds like probably Ruby won't make it.
3: Good shout. The fact that it says to find out who put the curse on them is a bit of a weird phrasing, in as we just talked about Esme putting the curse on them.
1: Obviously, we lost Abraham Gold, but did we lose his son? Because we saw him in the flashback at the beginning of the series. Could he be the, the one who was the boxer? Could he have put the curse on? Because I mean his dad died because of the Shelby's.
0: abraham Gold's son was was killed. That was part of his uh, was killed by the Billy Boys the boxer
1: oh he was wasn't he he was really bad he was quite torturous wasn't it
0: yeah yeah he was
1: well remembered
0: cool well let's look forward to episode three of, of, of Peaky Blinders let's let's quickly talk about what else we've been watching have you been keeping up with Pam and Tommy folks
2: no but I really want to I'm I was really really enjoying it so I am I am definitely going to but have you
0: yeah, I have. So I'll talk about this without giving spoilers, if I can. The latest episode was quite a tough watch in that none of the characters are particularly happy. So I am curious to see how it's going to end. It's Just watched the penultimate episode. So the final episode comes out tomorrow at the time of recording. But interestingly, Netflix have announced a Pamela Anderson documentary, which Pamela herself is going to be involved in, and it's going to cover more of her life, not just the sex tape element. But on instagram pamela wrote not a victim but a survivor and alive to tell the real story so it feels like Ooh. this is going to be pamela's right to reply on pam and tommy the series which i i think i'm gonna watch
2: yeah i like that that's that's exciting
0: nick have you been watching anything recently i'm
3: a massive fan of animated comedy i've been watching something called Final Space. This genre is a space opera comedy drama on Netflix. Basically, it's about this guy who's working off a prison sentence on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere. Uh, An astronaut named Gary meets a mysterious alien destroying creature called Mooncake, uh, with whom he bonds and it's about how the evil commanders and people in the world want to get Mooncake's power because he's a planet to kill in machine but he is cute as a button. Yeah it's a lot of fun. It, it depends if you know if you're into things like Archer and Family Guy and all the kind of animated sort of stuff there's a very silly element to it but not to get too deep about a cartoon but the, I'd argue there are layers to it. There's continuation in the story throughout um, on season three now and there is a, a con- complete continuation. It's not uh, just random stories for hum- of humour. There is a a nice story through it as well highly recommend it
0: awesome how about you grace anything you've been watching you want to talk about
2: i've been away so um but i am definitely excited to catch up on pam and tommy and i have actually started the final season of the leftovers which um i'm really enjoying so yes little bits and bobs here and there
0: a couple of bits and pieces that are coming up then so the witch finder on the 8th of march speaking of comedies it's the year 1647 And fear of witchcraft is prevalent. So this is historical drama meets comedy. It's got Tim Key as the witch finder and Daisy Mae Cooper as a suspected witch. And they travel across East Anglia to a trial that could change the trajectory of their lives. That starts on the 8th of March on BBC Two. Also stars Jessica Hines from Space. I know you're a big Space fan, Nick. Sounds good. And the other show that's coming up soon, on Friday, the 11th of March, we get The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. This is a Samuel L. Jackson TV show. Also stars Dominique Fishback from Judas and the Black Messiah and the incredible Walton Goggins. Tells the story of Ptolemy Gray, who's 91 and on the brink of sinking into dementia. (laughs) He experiences a seismic shift when given the opportunity to briefly regain his memories. And he uses that to solve his nephew's death and come to terms with his past This looks brilliant. It's coming out on Apple TV, another Apple show that's possibly going to smash it. Yeah, so Friday the 11th of March is when that first drops. Nick, do you want to tell us a bit about your podcasts and what they're all about? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. You can do that very briefly. So Pubtrop's podcast is exactly that.
3: It's celebrating... Pubs across the UK, Uh, we go and visit pubs and talk to the locals and uh, owners or managers of the pubs, learn about their history, learn about the antics that have gone on there and generally talk about the antics that we might have had in said pubs. Talking about the importance of pubs as well in the community and this, this is a bit of a comedy, personal walk through our pub life with myself and fellow hosts and sometimes Kat and Mark. And then the other podcast, Angry Little Welshman and Friends, a very new one. It's very much partly me sharing some of my experiences with my own mental health difficulties, sometimes humorous sometimes emotional. And then the main part of it is I have a guest come on to talk us through kind of their story, covering everything from male mental health to anger, depression, suicide, and maybe promoting some positive work that they're doing through those experiences on the podcast. They're available on all the usual platforms.
0: Incredible work. And Grace, you had, uh, speaking of podcasts, you had some of your writing on the Fizzy Sherbert podcast. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so it's a podcast that showcases women writers from around the world, an audio drama. So I wrote a short play about two older women who are lifelong friends and then sort of declare their love for each other. Uh, and also talk a bit dirty to each other, which is always fun. So uh, that's on the that's on the podcast. So yeah, and then there's a chat with me afterwards and a chat with a special guest to talk about the context of like women who fall in love with women later on in life. So yeah, you can find that at sure, but it's on all the normal ways you listen to your podcasts.
0: Awesome. Nick, it's been great having you on this Peaky Blinders episode. You joined us for my birthday TV DNA quiz night. And it just so happens that... Tomorrow, it's Damien's birthday.
1: It was
2: a 21 plus 18. Have you ever heard people sing happy birthday on Zoom all at the same time? Because it is one of the worst things you'll ever hear in your whole life. And we won't do it for the listeners, but it is really bad, so we won't.
0: <laughs> well, we could, as our as our way of, of, of ending this episode, maybe.
2: We could, we're going to subject them to it.
0: <laughs> you can fade it out after two seconds, can't you, Adam? Yeah, I can, absolutely. <laughs> Let's okay. do it. So we're going to sing her out with happy birthday to Damien. Happy birthday
2: to you. Happy
1: birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Damien, so happy so birthday to Happy birthday you. you. <laughs> you.
2: you. Hooray! Hooray! Hooray!
0: You can follow us on social media at TVDNA Pod, or you can email us at tvdnapod at gmail.com, or just pop into Google tvdnapod, and we will show up there. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye!
2: Bye!
1: Bye! Listener, you may hear dogs throughout this podcast. There we go. All right. You can carry on as is.
0: She wants him to have a conversation. She wants her. He wants her. Goodness me.
1: I mean, it is is for the outtake. So it was even worth that.